Well, everyone, welcome to another edition of Connecting Faith and Life. I'm Mr. Brown with Proclaim Ministries, helping you connect faith and life. Today's episode, I want to talk about forgiveness, drug use, and proximity. <laughs> forgiveness, drug use, and proximity. When I wrote this title down, I thought, why? What? How would this come about? But hey, it's going to make sense when we're all done. So again, thank you for joining me for this episode of Connecting Faith and Life. Uh, for more information about what we do with Proclaim Ministries, please visit our website, ProclaimMinistries.com. There you can donate, you can download our app and you can find all the resources that we create to help you connect faith and life. As I said many times, I want to make sure that we are living our lives. And I, I, I lived a compartmentalized life as a kid, but I think there's so much joy in living out our created purpose because I believe this. We are created by God and for God, and we will never find happiness, satisfaction, fulfillment trying to live outside of God. And there's so many things in our world telling us, look here, look here, your life will be better if you bought our product. Your life will be better if you did this. And sometimes we buy into that, that we believe that our lives would be better with these other things. No, all those other things can be added. Those things can be extras, but the foundation is the fact that I was created by God and for God. With that said, let's jump to this episode of forgiveness, drug use, and proximity. Now, forgiveness, I believe, is so important because we we receive forgiveness from Jesus Christ and it's something we also should give. Um, I have the privilege of speaking in public schools. I get to work with educators. I get to work with students from K through 12th grade and even pre-K, TK. I'm, I'm with the little, little bitty babies, um, and I, I really, really enjoy it. But one of the things I talk about with some of the adults, the educators, is the idea of forgiveness. And it's so funny because one school district I work with, um, the, the superintendent, he brought me into all of his, He wasn't even superintendent of schools. He was superintendent of the whole county, I think it was, because he had me come and speak to all his managers, his principals. And I only spoke in one school in that whole area, but he kept wanting me to come talk about forgiveness. And I was able to speak about relationships. We do a whole series called 360 Degree Relationships. And we talk about how relationships are bridges that connect us to one another. And in there, I talk about how some bridges need to be burned, some need to be repaired, some need to be rebuilt. And when I say burn, I don't mean burn the person, but burn that negative connection we have with the person. But when we talk about repairing them and building new ones. We talk about the idea of forgiveness. And so I believe this, forgive those who hurt you or your hurt will never end. Forgive those who hurt you or your hurt may never end. And sometimes we hold on to this pain. And and, and listen, and I, I really do a definition of forgiveness. I tell people that, listen, forgiveness is not saying it's okay. Sometimes we think, oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. What you did hurt me and hurt me bad. No, that, that, that ain't okay. Uh, it's not okay that someone sexually abused someone. It's not okay that you betrayed someone. It's not Those things aren't okay. But as the person who received that hurt, I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm, I need to learn how to let it go. And letting it go doesn't mean that person gets away with it. And at the end of the day, it's not about me making sure they get the pain. I don't want to hold on to the pain left in my life. Like a grenade. If somebody put a grenade in your hand, you can hold on to it. Somebody put a burning brick in your hand. Are you going to hold on to it? No, you're going to let those things go because you don't want them to continue to hurt you. So I kind of teach that, right? And all this is really based on the idea of God's ultimate forgiveness, but even the story of Joseph. If you don't know the story of Joseph, please read us in Genesis chapter 39. I think it goes all the way through 50 something, but it's sprinkled, other stories sprinkled in there. But, you know, Joseph was, no, it starts before 39, actually, because Joseph was born. And so this part about him being sold into slavery. So Joseph was one of ultimately 13 boys, but at the time it was 12 of them. He was the youngest. He was spoiled by his father, Jacob, because Jacob loved Rachel the most. And, and actually, jo jo Joseph came from a, what we would call a very dysfunctional family. His his dad had four women, two wives and two concubines, and they at some point were competing to have kids with Jacob. Uh, you talk about step this and half this. Man, it was a lot going on in this time too. So all this stuff that we're dealing with today isn't new. But 
Joseph grew up in his family. His brothers hated him. His dad spoiled him, gave him this coat of many colors. Um, he didn't make him go out in the work in the field like the other brothers did. He spoiled him. And so one day he was going out to check on his brothers. He would check on them and report back to dad. Well, one day he came out to check on him, had this coat of many colors on. The brothers got upset. Hey, we should kill him. One brother said, no, we cannot shed innocent blood. So they took him anyway, ripped his coat off of him, put him in a pit and let him stay in the pit. They heard these Ishmaelite traders coming and they sold their brother into slavery, took his robe, dipped it in some animal blood took it back to the father and said he they found this on the road and his father just melted down and just could not handle his life because his favorite son had died and i think that affected the brothers when they saw that but they couldn't go back now they laid the lie and they let it grow well joseph is sold into egypt he sold into slavery he, he was bought by potiphar and and the beautiful thing about this story and you should really read it um it kept saying but the lord was with was with joseph over and over again he was sold in slavery, but the Lord was with Joseph. Um, Joseph was in the house. He became success. And God blessed Potiphar's house on account of Joseph. Man, there's so much we can teach about that. Joseph in his house, he was doing what he's supposed to be doing. And God blessed him, even though he was in slavery. Even though Joseph was in slavery, he still lived his life to honor God, even though the situation was bad. He didn't forget his God, even though he may have felt like God forgot him because Joseph's life was bad now. He's away from his family. He's a slave, but yet he's, he's, he's prospering still because he's trusting God. He becomes the number one in the house. And he takes care of everything and, and Potiphar's house is growing. Potiphar trusts him. Well, the Bible says that Joseph looked good. He was handsome in form and appearance. The brother looking good. Kind of reminded me of me maybe. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, he was a good looking man. So Potiphar's wife looked upon him with desire and wanted to lay with him or to lie with him, to have sex with him. And so Joseph was like, no, nah. And she kept persisting time and time again, coming after Joseph. And Joseph was like, no, how can I do this great evil and sin? against God, he said. That's, those are his words. How can I do this great evil and sin against God? And before he talked about, he was telling her, no, your husband's done all this for me. He, he's great to me. But how can I do this great evil and sin against God? Joseph understood he's lived for God, even though nobody would find out. And truth is, most stuff comes out. What happens in the dark comes to light. So we need to be careful, right? Whatever you don't want to be seen. Here's his thing I think about often. We give so much energy trying to make sure other people don't see what we do. And understanding God sees everything, <laughs> that there's nothing hidden from God. We should be more concerned about what God thinks, what people think. Think about that. We're so consumed. We can be, I know I can be, consumed what everybody else thinks. But there's nothing hidden from God. When I'm by myself, God knows. See, God knows the intent of my mind. He knows my thoughts. He knows the thoughts before I even have those thoughts. So why are we trying to hide from God? And I think Joseph understood this. How can I do this great evil and sin against God? Because he understood that God sees everything. So he, he wasn't about it. So Joseph, uh, Potiphar's wife lied, said she one time she came after him. And again, the Bible says she did this over and over again, kept coming after him. Finally, one day he was alone in the house. He, he She came after him. He ran. He left his cloak or his clothes just ran. Oh, almost knocked my water bottle over. <laughs> he just ran to get away. She had his, his clothes, his, his coat, and she lied, screamed and said, oh, look at what he did. She accused him of sexual assault, accused him of coming after her. And I don't know my personal opinion. I don't know if, if Potiphar believed his wife. He probably saw the character of Joseph, but he had no choice. So he put Joseph in prison. Joseph now is in prison. And could you imagine how Joseph feels now? Betrayed by his brothers, betrayed by this woman, in, in, you know, in slavery. And he had to be, at some point feel like he was betrayed by God. Well, long story even longer. <laughs> He's in the jail. 
And in jail, this man begins to still progress in his um, employment, so to speak. He now becomes in charge of the jail. God continued to bless him. Again, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered him. Well, he's in charge of the jail. He's seen after other prisoners and the chief, the chief cupbearer and the baker ended up in jail. Pa, uh, Pharaoh's cup baker, cup baker. No, you don't bake cups. <laughs> his cupbearer, the guy who brought him his, his he, I think he actually tasted whatever they were giving to make sure nobody's trying to poison his food or whatever. But he also would give the cup to the, to the Pharaoh to, to, to drink from and his baker. Both end up in prison because somebody stole, I think it was a signet ring, or stole something from him. I can't remember exactly. You can read it, read it and hear yourself. But they stole something from him. Well, they had these dreams. He interprets the dreams, and the dreams came true. The cupbearer was restored to his position. The baker was hung. And Joseph asked the cupbearer, please remember me, right? Well, years go by. I don't know if quite years, but time goes by. And Pharaoh has these dreams. And nobody, none of his people could figure out what these dreams meant. And the cupbearer finally remembered that called on Joseph. Joseph interpreted a dream. And somehow, miraculously, God's miracle, Joseph became the second command of all of Egypt because of the famine. And jo Joseph was able to tell the king or uh, tell Pharaoh what um, was going to happen, all this stuff. And he came up with a plan to save Egypt from famine. Well, because of this famine, his brothers come from the other from Canaan, wherever they were. They come. Forgive me if, I'm, if that's not right. But they, they come from their land where they are to come get food because there's no other food available because, you know, Joseph had this plan to save all his food for the years of plenty. And now they're in a famine. There's no food. So his brother's not standing before him. Wow. Man, could you imagine the the uh, revenge thoughts, the revenge plots? <laughs> what kind of revenge would you have on your siblings if they sold you into slavery? They didn't steal your hairbrush. They didn't wear your clothes. They didn't steal your, your shoes. They didn't even steal your girlfriend. They sold you into slavery and lied to your father, never came looking for you. Could you imagine the revenge plots that would happen? Man, you should really read this story. But I'm going to fast forward to after. Uh, so basically, he saved his whole family. They came to live in Egypt. He took care of them. Uh, after his father died, the brothers were fearful that Joseph would pay them back. They thought, now Joseph told him, I forgive you earlier, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Um, he told them that, but I think they didn't quite believe that um, because after the father died, they approached him again to talk to him about, Hey, um, please don't know. Don't don't hurt us. Now the father died. We're your servants. They were very uh, repent. They were, I think they were scared that he was going to do something back to them. But look at what Joseph said. I'm going to read it right here from in Genesis chapter 50, starting at verse 15. And this is where I want to get to the forgiveness part. I'm sorry it took a long time to get there, but this is a great story. So I'm not sorry. This is great. This is good to get in the Bible. Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that the father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of your father. Joseph wept when he, when they spoke this to him. So they came to him, said this, uh, and Joseph wept. Verse 18, when his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for I am in the place of God. So basically, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. 
I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph understood that, yeah, they sinned, you did wrong, but I'm not going to hold on that to you. And besides, God allowed it to happen. And that's a kind of hard thing to say that God allowed it to happen. But in Joseph's perspective, God let it happen. But at the end of the day, Joseph had to let it go. If he held on to this, he would it would eat him alive. And many of us sometimes hold on to unforgiveness. We hold on to to anger and we we hold on to it and we don't let it go. And so the reason I'm telling you the story is because I was at a school speaking and I don't, during my message, it came up, I think doing Q&A. I was in middle school. After I was done, I do Q&A sometime. And sometimes I get some crazy questions. This one girl raised her hand and asked about forgiving. How can you forgive people? And so I kind of walked through a, night, a, a story about forgiveness, how important forgiveness is and what it is. So we talked about it. Kids understood. And afterwards, this girl came to me in tears and she was asking me about how she can forgive her mom because her mom had done a lot of drug use over the years and a lot of abuse took place with her stepdad. Um, the family had been broken up for four years. Dad, it went away. I don't know if he went to jail or whatever, but he was gone for four years. There were some healing taking place and her mom was no longer on those drugs. But now the stepdad is back and she still can't forgive what had happened in the past. This girl's 14 years old. We sat down and talked for a while and I'm trying to tell her, you know, hey, that's in the past and you can't hold on to it. It's kind of like having a glass bottle in your hand. If somebody gave you a broken glass and it's busted in your hand, it's causing you pain. You're going to hold on to it. No, you got to let it go. And once you let it go, there might be some glass fragments. You got to pick those out. And sometimes you got to get some, go see a doctor. You got to get, maybe help someone to walk through the process of, of, of getting healed again. And the same thing is with forgiveness. You got to choose to let it go. And you may have to see a counselor, talk to someone and let it go. And we had a deeper spiritual conversation later. And usually I don't do that unless it's a one-on-one conversation. And I, I love being there anyway, but I'll tell you more about that later. But um, we talked about that. Um, and then our conversation. So she understood what I was saying. And I, I'm saying it's not easy. It's a process, but you got to start with the first choose, let it go. So we talked a little bit more and, and I just, I just had this, I think it was Holy Spirit, just, just this question in my mind. I said, do, do you do drugs? And she was like, yes. She said, my mom um, lets me get high with my stepdad. Um, and she said, I, if I don't, if I don't get high, I, I can't, I don't function well. I don't go to school. I don't, if I don't get high. So this 14 year old girl is smoking weed with her stepdad. And I, I, I verified some of the story with the, with the school. They couldn't tell me details, but they were like, when I said stuff, they just, mm, you know, they, they kind of verified it. They couldn't tell all her business, but you know, she told the story and, um, and she told me this and I looked and I said, wait a minute, why would you, you, of all people, be doing drugs? If you know the damage and the, 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 the heartache and the pain that your mom's drug use caused you, you should be staying as far away from drugs as possible. Why would you do drugs? And in, and in our conversation, she told me her grandparents had done drugs. This is a cycle. Of, this is like a family cycle, right? Generational. And, and I was like, why did you do that? I said, listen to me. I said, your daughter one day, or your kids one day, you're 14. In 10 years from now, you might have a baby. In less than 10 years, you could be having a child. And your child's going to go through the same pain you went through because you're doing the same thing. She said, uh-uh, that's not happening to my child. So listen, if you do the exact same thing your grandparents did, your mom did, and now you're doing, what makes your, your outcomes going to be any different? You're going to be in the same place. She literally looked at me. She paused, looked at me and goes, she goes, I never thought of that. And I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking like, duh. <laughs> and I was nice. I just said it to her, but she never thought about that. And the thing is, they don't. The God of the world has blinded them. They don't see these things. And so this is one of the times, and I, this happens often, but it doesn't happen from up front when I'm up front speaking and, and you know, giving an assembly. I asked her, I said, do you go to church? She said, well, we're not, my family's not religious. I said, I'm not religious either. I'm not religious. So we had a little conversation about 
about God and about the purpose of life and how, why we were created, you know, and uh, that's that's exactly why I'm sh- I'm creating a series on the gospel for kids that, that in these conversations, I can say to them, hey, check out this website. I did, did give her proclaiming she's website. I got some teaching on there, but I'm going I'm to you know, have this directly. Hey, here is the gospel. Here's a ton of videos, maybe 12 short little videos or, or more than that to kind of walk them through their purpose and why they matter and why they've been created. So anyway, that conversation just stuck with me because not only did I have a conversation with her that week, the following week I had a conversation with a young lady dealing with the exact same things, the hatred, the, uh, the, the, the abuse because of drugs, but yes, she's still doing drugs. And this is a totally different school, another part of the, uh, the, the city, actually a different town, but this is a continual mess I keep seeing and hearing. And I know some people say, well, Mr. Brown, you should be you know, sharing the gospel with these kids up front. Well, I wish I could, but there, there's limits of what I can say up front. And here's the deal. I'm, I'm okay with dealing with those limits because I want to be in proximity with these kids. I think proximity is so important. It's one thing to stand outside and pick it and say, we need to get the gospel. We can't read the Bible in schools, but I get to go in with a positive message. And, and the beautiful thing is this, I get to be salt and light in the public schools. And yeah, I'm not opening the Bible, but I'm bringing them truth through who I am. I'm representing Christ to them. And I have so many conversations with kids who don't ever go to church, who have, who are hopeless, who have no hope. And sometimes the bridge between where they are, they're over here and the gospel is so far away. Cause see, look, growing up, everybody had some kind of moral standards. Most people respected the church. They respected pastors. These kids, some of these have never even had the concept of going to church. Some have never heard the name Jesus except around Christmas time and a cuss word. And I want to, so I just want to talk about proximity. I think it's important for us as believers to be around unbelievers, to, to, be, to be in proximity of people who don't necessarily trust Christ, who don't believe in Jesus. Because what, what how are they going to know if we're not there? If we're not able to preach the word verbally and non-verbally, and sometimes non-verbally comes first. I think sometimes as Christians, we, we, we when going to public arena, I'm a Christian, hear me roar versus, hey, I'm a person. And when they connect with you, I'm never hide the fact that I'm a Christian. I is more often than not, kids will ask me do our Q&A session, are you a Christian? I get that all the time. Are you a believer? Are you a pastor? And I think they just sent it, right? And the funny thing is I just told the story to some teachers because they said, hey, where did the oh yeah come from? And I told them the truth. It came from when I first started speaking in public schools, I would have kids saying amen. Like I was a member being in Kansas and I had a bunch of kids like, if you greet me, say amen. You got me, say amen. And I, I, really, I started getting some funny looks from some of the adults. And I thought, okay, this probably should change this from amen. Not because I'm ashamed of that, but because I just want to be able to relate more. So we changed it to the oh yeah thing. And the teachers I told it to was like, well, you should go back to amen because they, they like amen. But I, I want to be in proximity. And Another beautiful thing about what I get to do through the Choose Well program, if you haven't seen Choose Well program, visit the choosewellprogram.com, um, read about what we do. You can support what we do through donations. We have, a, a even on Proclaim Ministries, our board has said, hey, yes, we can support the work in the public schools. You can sponsor a classroom um, with our videos we do, but visit the choosewellprogram.com. The, cho- I'm sorry, the, again, I got to go back this way, the choosewellprogram.com. Check it out. You can find out what we do. But I love to be there. And it, and it's so amazing. I meet so many Christian teachers who are there. And some of them are really, really struggling because of the things that they're being they're being forced to to share or, or they're not sharing, but they're being forced down the pike. And I remember after I did this teacher training, professional development, two teachers came up to me and said, hey, can we pray with you? Because what you're doing is so important. So we pray together about the work. And I pray for them because the work they're doing every single day with all the things coming down with transgender, all the homosexuality, all the things that are coming down the pike and are, are there already. And ultimately, I think 
the bottom line for all this stuff is the whole idea of the relativism, what you can do, what you want to do. It only matters about you. I think it's just trying to replace God. We've replaced the God of the Bible with our own selves and being our own gods. And the truth is, that's not going to work out. <laughs> However, I love the fact that we can be in proximity, that I have the opportunity to be in proximity, to be around these kids, to be around school campuses and to be able to be an influence because kids connect with me. There's been so many times I walk on campus, a kid is not listening to the teacher, but they'll, they'll listen to me. They'll, they'll hear what I have to say. I just got done talking to a kid yesterday that he was in the office two times within, he got kicked out of two different classes, middle school kid, two different classes within like, cause the first time I saw him in the office, he knows me. He was in one of the small groups and I walked up, what you do? Come on, man, what you do? He told me what he did. And so we had a conversation I said, Hey, um, so you got kicked out of class cause you didn't do what you're supposed to do. So who did you offend or who did you, well, the teacher, who else? Who else you need to make apology to? He said, the teacher. He said, my classmates. I said, who else? He, I said, looked around. I said, what about the office staff? Because now they have to keep an eye on you instead of doing their work or at the same time doing their work. So you need to apologize to them. I said, what about your parents? Oh, yeah, my mom. Uh, we went down on this camera. We filed the principal. Camera, five people you need to apologize to. And I said, hey, listen, I want you to write a letter to those people. You're in here anyway. You're sitting in here. I can relate because when I was a kid, I remember getting kicked out of a class too, sitting in the principal's office. So I want you to write a letter of apology to these people. And he looked at me like, oh. I said, no, listen. Write an apology. You just sense this pain. So when you feel this pain, you remember this pain, you don't want to do this again. You don't want to be back here again, right? So I want you to write the letter. And then, so we're going to call mom. We're going to call mom and let her know what you did. And he just about lost it. Like, no, no, I, no, I want to call mama. And part of me is like, I'm glad he has that fear of mama. Mama's doing something right. If there's some fear that he, he go get in trouble. I said, you know, because sometimes kids, I don't care. You call mom, I don't care. And I'm like, I'm glad he was fearful of that. He's in sixth grade. So um, I said, okay, let's write the letters. Uh, maybe we won't call mom this time, but write the letters, even including your mom. So you write a letter to your mom, telling what you did, why you're, why you're sorry, so on and so forth. Turns out, a couple periods later, he's back in the office, got kicked out of another class. I said, I don't know, we call him mama. And he was so afraid. And so I told him, I said, listen, you can choose to be a child or an infant all your life, a little boy. Do you want to grow up to be a responsible young man? Do you want to grow up to be a responsible young man? Or you want to be a boy the rest of your life? You need somebody to wipe your mouth for you, you know, um, feed you in a bottle? Or are you going to start taking responsibility for your actions? And he's like, I want, I want to, you know, be a man. I want to grow up. I said, okay, great. So you need to take responsibility. Because look, school's going to call your mom anyway. So why don't you get up front and be like, mom, hey, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. You know, so on and so forth. And so he was mad when I told him, I said, we'll call mom today. He threw his book down. He's kind of mad. So I sat down and talked to him a little bit more. And uh, he said, okay, I'll call mom. So we walked in and he was just praying. Mom. He's like literally going, I hope to uh, vo uh, voicemail, voicemail. I want to go to voicemail. <laughs> uh, it didn't go to voicemail. He had to tell mom I can hear on the phone. Um, he was, you know, he looked like he was, you know, sad or whatever. And then we went back. But I found out in between that time that his dad had been in and out of prison. His dad's not a part of his life. So I found out some information about the boy. So when I went back, went back to talk to him again, he was, uh, I said, so, hey, who lives at home with you? He said, my mom. I said, who else? My, my sibling. I said, it was your dad. Oh, my dad lives in the Bay Area. He's not here. So forth. I said, you know, where's he at? And I said, he's been out of prison. He's like, yeah. And I said, listen, I'm not trying to put you. At this point, he started looking like really serious, like really down. I'm not trying to put you down. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But the fact that your dad's in prison, he's made some choices, right? Do you want to end up in the same place? I'm not saying it's automatic, but the truth is, I didn't tell him this, but the truth is they did a statistic study that's, that these kids are seven and, seven and a half times more likely. It's done by Angel Tree, I believe, Prison Fellowship Ministry, that's, that they're seven, times, seven and a half times more likely to end up in prison than other kids because one of their parents is in prison. So I didn't tell him that, but I'm like, you end up like that. He's made some choices. I'm not putting your dad down, but do you want to have the same life he does? He's like, no. I said, because you don't get to see him much. Do you want to see your kids one day? He's like, yeah, I want to be a father. You know, he wants to have that relationship he doesn't have with his dad. I said, your choices matter now. 
what you're doing now matters. And you not getting to that class, respecting your teacher, doing what you're supposed to do. You know what you're supposed to do. And so uh, we talked a little bit more in the bell rung. You went home. And I, I have those opportunities all the time. And you, I can't express how grateful I am to have those kind of opportunities. And again, I want I want to go deeper. I want to get deeper. But proximity matters to be close enough to have those conversations, to be close enough to be able to give the gospel, be close enough to have them here. The most important choice they can make is trust in Christ their Savior. So I'm telling you this because I, 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 I love your support. And I mean support in praying for us and donating to our ministry, um, donating so I can go to some classrooms to, to support the Choose Well program. Um, I do want schools to pay. And I've talked to so many administrators and other Christians say, yes, yeah, schools have money. And when they pay, they make an investment. They make sure things work. But if, if one of the things I would love to do, is, especially speaking in, in towns I can go to, sometimes I go to a town for a week. I'll be in, in Park Rapids, Minnesota for a week. I would love to partner with some churches and say, hey, hey, church, can you help sponsor this event? But also have an event at your church on that Wednesday. Or maybe I can speak on that Sunday to where I can invite the kids the whole week, invite the families to come. And that's a beautiful thing, too. Through the Choose Well program, I get to have family events. I'm, I get to speak to all the people in the family, the, the teachers, the families, the parents of the family night recently. And it was so awesome to have some dads there. That, that saw me up front talking. I got to talk to a few dads and I, I thank them for being there because we don't see a lot of dads around the schools. Anyway, I, I love what I do and I love your support and I appreciate it. And again, uh, forgiveness is so important to make sure we're willing to forgive others who's hurt us, who who uh, have done stuff to us as as believers. Again, forgive those who hurt us or our hurt will never end. Um, but also I want to ask you to pray, not just for me, but pray for these students and the drug use and the abuse and things these kids are going through. And I'm telling you, I get story upon story upon story like this. And it's amazing because some of the teachers and counselors are surprised that these kids open up and share me their story. They share their stories like this, like, boom, they just tell me all the stuff that's going on in their lives. One reason they feel I'm safe. Uh, I think also I think they see something different in me sometimes, too. But I'm willing to listen to them. I don't have all the answers, but I want to lead them in the right direction. And I want to encourage them that no matter where their life started, they can make choices to make their life different, no matter where your life started. So anyway, uh, I think I'm trying to end this episode, y'all. I, I'm almost to the to the, uh, you know, I have a 30 minute timer on this, this uh camera if you're watching this you watch this on youtube or our app um, you can also listen to it on a podcast you can listen to me while you're driving even through the app because the app you know you can watch the video or listen to the audio separately so you can be driving down the car driving down the car <laughs> driving down the road listening to this podcast hopefully it's encouraging you and again let me go back to i told a lot of story about what i get to do in proximity but i also want to just, just encourage you to by forgiveness. Read the story of Joseph and understand the power of forgiveness because many of us are holding on to things that keep hurting us. And the quote is this, forgive those who hurt you or your hurt may never end. And I think God wants us to walk in freedom. And as believers, I think Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 18, forgive others or he won't forgive you. And we'll talk about that later. I don't want you to, but, but the forgiveness is important because we've forgiven. We should be people who are willing to forgive others who hurt us. So again, thank you for joining us for this episode of Connecting Faith and Life. I'm Mr. Brown, Proclaim Ministries, helping you connect faith and life. So join us next time for the next episode. Until then, see you later. Peace.